this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 7. We want to look at verses 1 through 10. Notice the topic of our teaching this morning. Melchizedek, king of righteousness. Interesting character, and we're going to get into it this morning. But if you've been coming on Sunday mornings, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. And as we've covered already, chapters 1 through 6, we began with the position of Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? We know that he is the Savior of the world. We call him the incarnate God, the God in the flesh. And yet as we're coming to the book of Hebrews, the letter is being written to a group of Hebrew Christians that needed to come to that full understanding of who Jesus is. And so in the first six chapters, uh, we saw the superiority of the revelation of Jesus Christ that he is God. And then we continued with the superiority of Jesus Christ over the angels, over Moses, over the priesthood, the law. In other words, that Jesus Christ is everything that we need. In fact, Jesus says, uh, he told this to his disciples, and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so it's a beautiful picture. Now, as we come to chapter 7, an interesting character, as I mentioned before, a man by the name of Melchizedek. And we're going to look at Melchizedek, king of righteousness. Now, we spoke a little bit about Melchizedek back in Hebrews chapter 5. And in chapter 6, we spoke twice about this man. But when you get to chapter 7, it's in entirety uh, concerning Melchizedek. And we're going to go to Genesis chapter 14, where Abraham met up with Melchizedek. And then we're going to see in our text this morning, there's no mention of his birth, no mention of his death, no mention of his genealogy. And you're going to have that discrepancy. Well, who is he? And so as we study the scriptures, it's important to look and see what the scriptures say. Now, as I was looking at some of my commentaries, the old Jewish rabbis, when they would come uh, to the text, they had four positions that they took, and I'm going to give them to you this morning. Number one, it was called the Pishak. And the Pishak, uh, they looked at the plain meaning of the text. And many times we do that exactly. But secondly, the next position of interpretation of Scripture, it's called the Rimaz. And the Rimaz is the implied meaning of the text. And we've often done that here. Uh, in the sanctuary. And then the third interpretation of Scripture is called the Day Ruth. And the Day Ruth, concerning the text, after studying the Scriptures, we come to a conclusion. We come to the consideration. This is what the text says. Now, the fourth interpretation that the Jewish rabbis would use was called the Shad. And the Shad uh, spoke of the allegory of the text or the metaphor of the text the hidden meaning in the text. And so probably the fourth position we're going to take this morning as we look at Melchizedek. We're going to look at the allegory. We're going to look at the metaphor, the hidden meaning, and yet at the same time, 
We want to see the implied meaning. And so, interesting. But let's begin here. And let's just ask the Lord to go before us. Look at Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now, we're going to read further in Genesis 14. But let's begin here in verse 1. In the Hebrew, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, king of right living for God. The Hebrew says that he was a king of purity of heart, a king of honesty, a king of trustworthiness, a king of good morals of life. So Melchizedek was also called the king of Salem or the king of peace, the king of Israel. He was considered the priest of the most high God. We're speaking of our heavenly father, Father God. Now it's interesting, he first met with Father Abraham back in Genesis chapter 14. After the victory over the five kings of the Valley of Shev, the Valley of Kings. Now, basically, and I want you to set this up for you, turn with me to Genesis chapter 14. Leave a marker there. We'll get back to our, our text in, in Hebrews chapter 7. But basically, Abraham had, had given Lot, his nephew, a, a choice of the land of partials. And, and he chose this area of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Lot was captured. And so Abraham comes to his rescue. And basically, Abraham was looking to bring back his nephew Lot. But in the process, he takes the victory, and then he meets up with Melchizedek. And so Genesis chapter 14, look at verse 17 with me. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shev, that is the valley, or the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Chedamor Lamor. And he says, the kings who were with him. And so he meets up with this Melchizedek now. Then Melchizedek, now pay attention, uh, king of Salem. Now you pick this up also uh, concerning Salem, that it's most likely Jerusalem in Psalm 76, verse 2. But it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now bread and wine instantly brings us to the place of the communion service. He says he brought bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And so honor was paid by the greater a king, a priest to Abraham. But the communion table, it speaks of fellowship. Look at verse 19. And he blessed him and he said, Blessed be Abram. Now, his name had not been changed yet to Abraham. He says, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And so here is the first mention. God most high is El Elyon, E-L-Y-O-N. The Hebrew speaks of the highest God, or God the highest. In verse 20, and he, bless, he says, And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him a tithe of all. Now it's interesting that he says he gave him a tithe of all. Here we are in Genesis chapter 14. It's approximately 400 years before the Levitical law, 400 years uh, before the tithe would have been, you know, written in the law. What made this person to partake of the tithe? Now, the Holy Spirit 
does things in the Old Testament that are pointing to the cross. But there's this unction that it's almost built in man. What we get, we turn around and should give a portion back. And it's always been this standard of the 10% or the tithe. And I want to assure you this morning, my message is not going to be on tithing. My message is not going to be on your offerings. But interesting how this takes place here. And so here's Abraham coming back from the battle. And then he meets up with Melchizedek. Communion's taking place. And he says, blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. And then he goes on to verse 21. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, he says, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. It's most likely that he'd rather have the men, the women, uh, making them slaves, servants, etc. Didn't care much of the spoils because this was usually what was given after the battles. And then he goes on, look at verse 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. He acknowledges El Elyon. And we need to say amen to that. In verse 23, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. Now, historically, scholars believe, and as you study, especially the book of Genesis, I mean, Abraham was a, a, a wealthy man. God bless him. But I like the position that Abraham says here. No, I'm not going to take it from you because then you're going to boast about it. You're going to brag about it. And you know, the scriptures tell us that when we give, you know, the person on your right, the person on your left, they should not know. But as you give, let it be purposed in your heart. And then he concludes the, the teaching here out of Genesis in verse 24, except only, and this is what he said he's going to take, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of, uh, of the men who went with me. And then he speaks of the others that went with him in the battle. Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. These were Abraham's allies, those that fought with him in the battle. These were Canaanites, and it's believed that they were brothers. And so let them get their portion. But now let's go back to the text. And I wanted you to see where Melchizedek came into the picture in Genesis chapter 14. But now we're going to pick up our study in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 2 through 10. Melchizedek, king of righteousness. Now, as I study the scriptures, I, I love listening and reading the commentaries by Pastor Chuck Smith. I mean, basically, he's my mentor. And so I look and see what he's teaching on this particular subject. Now, when you go to Pastor Chuck's teachings, and I've listened to him for years, and when you come to the teaching of Melchizedek, Pastor Chuck will take that position. This is a Christophany of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And I agree with him. And not because that he's Pastor Chuck, but because of the scriptures that I'm going to show you out of John chapter 8 in just a minute here. But then there's another man that I like to study, and that's Chuck Missler. Chuck Missler has the ministry of Koinonia. Uh, Chuck Missler sat under Chuck Smith for many, many years. And he still considers Chuck Smith uh, his, his pastor. It's interesting that Chuck Missler takes the position. He does not believe that this is Jesus Christ 
in the Old Testament. Now, you don't have to be dogmatic. You don't have to make a doctrine and say, this is Christ in the Old Testament. You know, Chuck says, I see the position. This is Chuck Missler. He says, I see a type in Melchizedek, a type of Jesus Christ. Now, basically, when we study the Old Testament, you've heard me share it many times. The Old Testament's pointing to the cross. The high priest in the Old Testament's pointing to our complete high priest, which is Christ. The Old Testament sacrifice, the animal sacrifice, is pointing to the complete sacrifice, which is Christ. But here in Genesis chapter 14, I believe that it is a Christophany in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll give you my reason. I want you to turn, leave a marker there, and go to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, there's an interesting teaching. And as you go to John chapter 8, and recalling what we just read, just studied, in Genesis chapter 14. But Jesus here, if you have a caption in your Bible, as I do, in you go to John chapter 8, and right there above verse 48, it says, before Abraham was, I am. And so Jesus is declaring something outstanding, if you may. And here's these religious leaders, and they're trying to figure it out. Now, just quickly, look at verse 48. I'm going to skip around here. But basically, I want you to study verse 48 all the way to the conclusion of verse 59. It's called, uh, before Abraham was, I am. These are the statements of Christ. But in verse 48, then the Jews answered and said to him, Do you not say, say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And so they were always challenging him. Look at verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham? The Jews would rely everything upon Abraham. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? And so they're asking a great question. <laughs> and... Uh, Look at verse 56. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Whoa, can't you just see the religious leaders already gathering stones? I mean, they're ready to plummet Jesus. Then Jesus takes it further. He says in verse 57, then the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And you have seen Father Abraham? You have seen Abraham? Listen to the response here. In verse 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, or truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, and notice the capitalization, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I believe that Melchizedek is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And we're going to see that there's no mention of his genealogy, Melchizedek. There's no mention of his birth, his death, parents, etc. And yet, again, there's those that say, well, you know, it's the character of Christ. It's uh, the typology of Christ. Uh, some of the old Hebrew scholars uh, even said uh, it was Shem, one of Noah's sons. And, you know, again, I'm not being dogmatic and saying this is what you need to believe. But let's look at Melchizedek. Now, before we get into verse 2, Hebrews chapter 7, and then take it 
to verse 10, the conclusion. And we're not studying many verses this morning, that is. There's another message. And it could so easily be taught here this morning. But that's not my motive. That's not my, you know, place this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit has led me to to bring forth Melchizedek, king king of righteousness. And we're going to look at this. But I want you to mark this down. From verses 2 through 10, seven times the Holy Spirit brings forth the tenth part or the tithe or plural, tithes. Why would he bring that forth? Now here's Abraham and the tithe with Melchizedek 400 years before the law. 400 years before, you know, Moses would come into the picture. Interesting. 400 years before the priesthood. And yet the tithe is spoken of. And so, again, we learn as we get into the scripture and we challenge the word of God and the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But we're not going to teach on, you know, the tithes, the offering, the gifts, etc. But look at verse 2 now. Hebrews chapter 7. To whom also Abraham, he gave a tenth part of all. He says, first being translated, king of righteousness. So he paid his tithe to this Melchizedek. He says, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. And so both of these titles are given to Jesus Christ. And now these titles, obviously, to Melchizedek. King of righteousness, Jesus. King of righteousness, Jesus. King of peace. And so there's various titles throughout the New Testament, but especially in the Old Testament. When we look at the name Jehovah God, as he's basically known in the Old Testament. So here we say, we're saying that Melchizedek, king of righteousness, I believe that it's Jesus, king of righteousness. But if you're taking notes, these are interesting. We've heard some of these names before. I'm going to give you seven names of Jehovah, of representations that he, he stands for. Now, this is Old Testament, but I want you to apply it to our New Testament. And you'll see it. We begin, first of all, with Jehovah Jireh. We've heard that many times here from the pulpit. Uh, the spelling of Jireh is J-I-R-E-H. God, our provider. And it's taken from Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. We know the story. Abraham goes up into the mountain. And God asks him, I want you to sacrifice your son. Your only begotten son. And Abraham's obedient. And we know the story. Isaac goes with him. They take up the, uh, the wood. And Isaac even asks, where's the sacrifice? And imagine, and I, I, I have struggled with Genesis chapter 22 uh, many times over. Because Isaac is going to become the sacrifice. But we know the story. The angel of the Lord comes and stops him before he sacrifices him. And then we hear this rustling in the back. And this ram is caught in the thicket. And they sacrificed the ram. And Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh, God, my provider. Now look at the New Testament. How many times has Jesus literally been my provider, your provider? What is it that you need? What is it that you want? Jehovah-Jireh, 
God my provider. Now let's look at the next one. Jehovah Nissi, N-I-S-S-I, God my banner over me. And it's taken out of Exodus chapter 17, verse 15. God, God's defeat over the Amalekites. And Moses declares, and he sees the victory. He knows that the victory comes from the Lord. Jehovah Nisi, God, my banner over me. How many times, God, Jesus Christ has been my banner over me in the New Testament, in, in our own personal lives. Now, the third one is Jehovah Shalom. God is my peace. It's taken out of Judges chapter 6, verse 24. Gideon uh, built the altar there in Ophrah. Now Gideon is rejoicing because he was frustrated. God, what do you want from me? And, and Gideon receives his call, and he gathers this peace. So God to him was God, Jehovah Shalom. He is my peace. How many times we've been to that place of struggle, of pain, of hurt, of unanswered questions. And then God brings forth the answer. God brings forth the comfort, whatever it might be, and he becomes Jehovah, a shalom, Jesus Christ, my peace. Now, number four is Jehovah Shammah, and Shammah is spelled S-H-A-M-M-A-H. God is present. Listen. God is present. It's taken from Ezekiel, chapter 48, verse 35. Ezekiel saw God in the new city. God's presence. God is always present. Didn't he promise I'll never leave you nor forsake you? The psalmist says, in the midst of my troubles, in the midst of trouble, God is present. And so even in the New Testament, how many times God has been present for me? Jehovah Shammah. Now, number five is Jehovah Tishboeth, and it's spelled T-S-E-B-A-O-T-H, the Lord of hosts. Now, we should be aware of the Lord of hosts. We see it throughout the Old Testament, but especially in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3. David and the prophets saw God surround his enemies by his host of heavenly power, the angelic beings. And so Jehovah Tishboeth, the Lord of hosts. Now we come to number six, Jehovah Rapha, one of my favorites. Jehovah God, our healer. It's taken from Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. Now Moses tells the people in the time of the wilderness, if we obey God, he will become Jehovah Rapha. Now, they come to the place of the waters there in Mara. And the waters of Mara are bitter. And they're told to cast in a tree. And God brings forth, listen, the sweet waters to drink. But God was showing us a picture. If we trust him, he is Jehovah Rapha, my healer, your healer. How many times God has touched our bodies, our physical bodies? He is Jehovah Rapha. He is God, my healer. Now we come to the seventh one, Jehovah, Jehovah Rohi, R-O-H-I. The Lord is my shepherd, and we're familiar with this. In Psalm 23, verse 1, 
the Lord is my shepherd. And what does he say? I shall not want. You see, everything that I need is in God. Come to the New Testament. Everything that I need is in Jesus Christ. Now, we see the great shepherd there in Psalm 23. On your own, study John chapter 10. The great shepherd, our shepherd, Jesus Christ. He hears my voice. He knows my voice. We know his. Now, we're speaking about Melchizedek, king of righteousness. And here's the last rendering of Jehovah. Now, there's others, but I wanted to give you these. Jehovah Tisidkenu, and it's spelled T-S-I-D-K-E-N-U. God, the righteous one. It's taken from Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 6. The prophecy of the coming Messiah. Now, remember, the letter to the Hebrews is being written to Hebrew Christians. Hebrew Christians that were warned back in Hebrews chapter 2, that some were being warned they were slipping away. They were beginning to drift back to Judaism, going back to the rituals, the rites, the customs, the traditions, going back to the law. And yet Christ had set them free. Jesus is their righteous one. That's all that they need. But now we've been making reference to Abraham meeting up with this Melchizedek. I believe it's Christ in the Old Testament. Now let's go back to our text. And look at Hebrews 7. Look at verse 3 now. And it speaks about Melchizedek. Melchizedek, basically, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of Man or the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now, we know that Jesus is still our high priest today, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he makes intercession for us. But look at here in verse 3. The King James uses the word without descent. In other words, no genealogy here for Melchizedek. The Hebrew saying there's no registration of him. Very important uh, to the Jews, especially uh, in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. The genealogies were very important. As you study Genesis, and if you have a King James, you keep going over this reference. And he begot him. And they begot them, and everybody's begotten everybody. This is the genealogy. It's very important uh, to the Jews. So uh, when you look at Genesis, we find from Adam to Abraham. We find uh, Abraham to Jacob. We find Jacob to Joseph, and then the 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes. Now what's interesting is that Joseph is sold off into slavery by his brothers, and he goes to Egypt. Eventually, remember the, the famine conditions? And then he rebuilt the plenishes, and, and, and there's much wheat. And eventually, Jacob has to come to Egypt. The Bible says that 70 of Jacob's descendants, they go into Egypt. 400 plus years later, they come out 2 million strong. And so the begats <laughs> increase quite a bit. And so God's hand of grace. Now, not only the recorded births in the Old Testament, but also they would record the death. Melchizedek, according to what we're reading, had no start, no end. The genealogy was very important to the Jews, especially when it came to the priesthood. 
Now, if you were here Wednesday night, Ronnie Cohen spent some time with us. Uh, he took us through basically uh, the history lesson of Israel and shared with us what's going on in Israel today. Uh, the whole thing is about the land. But I got to read to meet Ronnie Cohen years back when we had gone earlier, especially when I had gone the first time with a bunch of pastors, uh, and I met up with Ronnie. And we were discussing his last name, Cohen. And he said that they come up with some DNA in Israel. And they were asking everybody that was with the last name Cohen to come in and to, you know, take some DNA. And lo and behold, Ronnie found out that he was a descendant of the Levites. And so from that day on, we kept calling him Father Ronnie. But uh, interesting, for the Jews, it's very important, church. Now, look at the bottom of verse 3. But made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. I'm going to read this in entirely later, but mark it down. Psalm 110, verse 4. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Jesus is still a priest. Still a priest today, a high priest, sits at the right hand of the Father. But the last portion here, who is this Melchizedek? And, and again, I'm not here to be dogmatic, not here to pressure you, but let's look at the scriptures. Look at verse 4 now. Uh, let's continue in our text. Now consider, consider what? Melchizedek. How great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham, and here's that word again, he gave a tenth of the spoils. He paid his 10%, yet the tithe was not law, Back in Genesis chapter 14, the Jews already placed a high regard on the faith and genealogy back to Abraham, an example for the church. The Old Testament, they gave their tithe, their offerings. Now, when I preach and teach on giving, I don't see the Old Testament tithe in the New Testament. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, we see that God loves a cheerful giver. But I believe once the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, God brings us to that place of giving. And so we can learn from the examples of the Old Testament saints. Consider Melchizedek, how great this man was to whom even the patriarch, Abraham, listen to this. He gave the tenth part of the spoil. Let's go on to verse 5 now. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, he says, have commanded to receive tithe from the people according to the law that is from their brethren. The same, the tithes are to be received. The gifts are to be received from the church. We should never pressure the non-believer. Then he finishes off verse 5. Though they have come from the loins of Abraham. You see, the priesthood, you have to understand, in the Old Testament, the priesthood had no inheritance. No land was given to them. God gave them the tithe and the offering that was taken up, and it came from the people. It was the people's place to take care of uh, the priesthood. Now, it's interesting because I love this proverb. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. We have to trust God. The bottom line, we must trust God 
in or out of the ministry, depending where your financial provision is given. Now, I take a salary here. God's provided one for years, and I'm grateful, but that doesn't exempt me. I'm abiding as you abide, as God gives to me. I'm required to give back. But it's interesting, I don't believe that God teaches the tithe in the New Testament, and yet there are those that will go by that, and that's okay. The Bible says the purpose in your heart as you give. Be a cheerful giver. Now, here's if you're going to give a dollar, praise the Lord, give the dollar. Never complain of whatever amount it is. Ah, I've got to give that buck again. Might as well keep it. And if possible, go buy something at McDonald's. Is there anything for a buck left? I don't know. But there was no pressure here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, again, here's the position of Jehovah-Jireh, God our provider. In the time of Joshua, when the lands were given uh, to the 12 tribes, remember they crossed over uh, to the land of milk and honey, the priesthood received no lands, but the people gave unto the Lord. And as they gave unto the Lord, then the priesthood received. But I'm also reminding, uh, reminded of Eli the priest. Remember his sons? Hopni and Phinehas. They were not good. They were evil. And so not always was the priesthood good. We see it today in the New Testament. How many times? It, it's, it's a shame when uh, Hollywood, in their programs, they have to expose you know, certain pastors of big ministries. It's happened through the years. And our accountability is so important. Let's continue. Hebrews 7, look at verse 6. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithe from Abraham, and he blessed him who had the promise. The promise was given to Abraham. You see, Abraham paid tithes because Melchizedek is the priest of the Most High God, El Elyon. I believe Abraham is paying tithes to Messiah, Jesus Christ. And as we mentioned, that was Old Testament, New Testament, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, give as purpose in your heart, for God loves a cheerful giver. On your own, if you're going to study 2 Corinthians 9, read verses 6 through 9. You see, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is showing the Hebrew Christians the superiority of Melchizedek, the, the priesthood, over the Levitical priesthood. Now, that was very difficult if you have the Jewish mind. But you have, excuse me, you have to understand that I'm seeing Melchizedek, if, if not Christ himself, a type of Christ. And again, back in Hebrews chapter 2, the warning, uh, they were slipping back into Judaism. Hear the warning, pay the tithe to Christ in the New Testament. If Melchizedek is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, or is it a type of Christ, then as we give, we give unto the Lord. Remember that Jesus is a priest, is our high priest forever, and Jesus is also our, our king forever. And so it just everything just fits so beautifully. Now look at verse 7. Let's continue. Now, beyond all contradiction, when you come to verse 7, it is so powerful. It is so simple, but we're going to break it down. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. 
the lesser is blessed by the better. Now, the blessings is always from the better to the lesser. The one who gives the blessing is better than the one who receives it. Now, what am I talking about? Because there are some that can't afford to give. That's what I'm saying. There are others that struggle, others that are paying. God never pressures us for us. You have to give. And there are some that believe that. Write down this verse, the verse that's meant a lot to me through the years. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, these are the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I, 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 I love to give. It's my nature. God's placed it in my heart. And I'm not talking just about finances. Basically, God's called me into the ministry, and I have a heart to give. I, I see some of your hearts. You're givers. You're not takers. And yet there's a time that, you know, you have to partake. And so Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, years ago, I had a lady in the ministry. She came right up to me. I was teaching something of this nature. I'm using Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I like to receive, she said. And she was blamed. I go, praise the Lord. No, no, no. I do not like to give. I like to receive. And, you know, I, I can't go around with that attitude. In fact, I'm humbled when somebody gives to me. Years back, it was in the early part of our ministry, times of struggle, and it was around Thanksgiving. Somebody came to our house, and I don't want you guys to do that this afternoon, okay? But somebody came, and they gave us two bags of groceries. I mean, I told my wife, I said, let's give them to somebody else. She goes, no, we need them. And we're humbled. And they did it out of, listen, the goodness of their hearts. There was a note inside. We don't know who it was. And you know what happens when that situation, you sit there, who was it? Who was it? No, nah, I can't be them. They don't like us. Oh, maybe it was them. Let it go. It came from above. God used somebody. That's the beautiful part of it. And so Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But we are humbled when it's to the other side of the spectrum. But I want you to, oftentimes I go here, I just love the translation here, the New Living Translation out of verse 7. Without question, the person who has the power to bless is always greater than the person who is blessed. Scholars believe Abraham was a very wealthy man in the Old Testament. You'll study the book of Genesis. We'll get to that on Wednesday nights eventually. He's a wealthy man. Uh, but listen to this commentary out of verse 7. Isaac and Jacob blessed their children under a prophetic impulse. In this manner, the priest under the law blessed the people. In this manner, likewise, Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, El Elyon, blessed Abraham. Look at us, the church, the body of Christ. In a sense, church, we're the lesser. We're the lesser ones. We deserve the judgment, yet God blesses us with his love, his grace, his mercy, his peace. The lesser, that's us, are blessed by the greater or the better, which is God. He's given us saving grace. I mean, you, you cannot deny that. And what much more do you want? Remember the story of the widow's mites? 
The disciples of Jesus were watching as the rich were coming in and bringing in their tithes, their offering, uh, even uh, of their various herbs. They're in the temple and they were ooing and eyeing because there were bags, silver, gold, and the herbs. And then Jesus says, hey, you guys are missing the whole point. See the widow woman. And the widow woman came up. She had two mites. Most of you know that a mite is almost worthless. They give them away in Israel. And if you put two pennies in your hand, you can feel two pennies. And our two pennies don't mean much. Can you buy penny candy anymore? I don't think so. We used to. Remember those candies you put around your neck? And you used to sweat. And it was all grimy. And then everybody shared them. You guys did the same, huh? All right. It's not just me. But the widow gave of all she had, church, two mites. Just, just a, a beautiful picture again. But God, he is so good to us. Verse 8, he continues, and he speaks about this mortal man or this natural man. Here, mortal men receive tithe, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. Now, I want you to mark down the word here. It's important. And then the word, but there, the word there, and it's important. We'll get back to it. Again, in verse 8, here, mortal men receive tithe, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. Now, oftentimes, as I've shared before, I love the New Living Translation, and I'm going to use it here again. I also love the Amplified Version. Let me read the New Living Translation, verse 8. In the case of Jewish priests, tithes are paid to men who will die. But Melchizedek is greater than they are because we are told that he lives on. If this is Christ, he lives on. The Amplified Version, out of verse 8. Furthermore, here in the Levitical priesthood, Tithes are received by men who are subject to death, while there, in the case of Melchizedek, they are received by one of whom it is testified that he lives perpetually. Perpetually. Now, here's the, the whole verse. Perpetually. Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. He will not repent. He will not, you know confess anything because he can't he does not sin so let me read it again the lord has sworn he says and will not relent you are a priest forever according to the order of melchizedek now god will not repent but there's times in scripture where god has a change of mind and a change of heart and so here he describes melchizedek you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And obviously we know that Christ is forever. Now, we got to the word here and the word there. Here's what one commentary said. The word here speaks of the Levitical economy and life at the time. Men that die receive tithe. The emphasis is on mortal men who will die. The Levites are dying men who pass away in due time and are succeeded by others. The word there... In the case of Melchizedek, he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. Melchizedek does not appear in Scripture as one who dies. 
and whose office passes to another. Again, Melchizedek abides continually or forever. A type of Christ or actually Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Melchizedek, listen, he lives because Jesus Christ still lives. And he sits at the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession for us. And again, we're not here trying to be dogmatic to say that Melchizedek is Christ. But look at the picture now. Now, verses 9 and 10 are precious as we're coming uh, to the conclusion of our text this morning. Melchizedek, king of righteousness, is this Christ? I believe it is. He goes on in verse 9, even Levi, who receives tithes and paid tithe through Abraham, so to speak, so what is he saying in verse 9? We may even say that Levi's descendants, Levi's ancestors, the ones who collect the tithe, paid a tithe to Melchizedek through their ancestor Abraham. So again, we see the typology. Levi is not exempt. Even though he received tithe, he too was obligated uh, to pay his tithe from the tithe he received. He paid tithe to Abraham. The Levites who were descendants of Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek uh, through Abraham, their representative. And so as we look at this, let us learn the example. Now, when you come to Calvary Chapel or any ministry you might attend, I hope and pray you're not giving to that ministry or that pastor or those pastors, but you give to the Lord. That's the whole purpose. Now, obviously, there needs to be integrity. But, you know, you don't make the check out to Pastor Bob, Pastor Jeff, or Pastor Jay. You make out the check to Calvary Chapel, and then we go accordingly and take care of the needs. But as we receive salary, we're obligated also to give. And again, the Old Testament taught a 10% tithe. In fact, John MacArthur says if you really count the Old Testament and you count everything up that was required of you, it's about 23%. But I believe that the 10% should be a plateau or a position that we would take, but what we would purpose in our hearts. And I've shared this many times as a husband, as a wife. You should sit down together and come up with an agreement. What should it, what, honey, what should we give to the Lord? Well, look what God's given to you. And honestly, let God, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. You know, I, I heard a story. I don't know how true it was. This guy really didn't believe in the tithe, didn't believe in, you know, a cheerful giver. But he always carried a good-sized amount of money in his wallet. Most of us, men, you do this. You open your wallet. You have the fives, the tens, the twenties, the fifties. You happen to have a hundred, and you follow the sequence. And he says, I opened my wallet. I said, Lord, I'm going to give to you whatever you want. I'm going to put my hand in there. He knew exactly where he was going. He went to the $5 section. And as he brought it out, he saw a $100 bill. And his hands trembling as the basket comes. And he looked at his wallet, he said. He looked at his wallet. And he goes, Bob, I'm serious. It was there. I was supposed to be in the $5 section. How did I get to the hundred? How did that hundred get in the $5 section? Hey, cross the tracks, I told him. But he made the prayer, Lord, I'm going to give what you want. You see, we have to be very careful. And so now we come to verse 10, the conclusion. 
he was still, now he's speaking about Levi. He was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. You see, in verse 10, although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's loins when Melchizedek collected the tithe uh, from him. Now I'm going to use a pun that Pastor Chuck brought forth. The genes of Levi were in Abraham. Now he said that pun, I didn't. But I liked it. The genes of Levi were in Abraham. Now, verse 10, the loins of his father, his own father was not of Abraham. When Melchizedek met him in the person of Abraham, the whole Jewish law, its ordinances, its priesthood, are regarded as potential, potentially in Abraham. And when Abraham paid tithe, Levi paid tithe. When Abraham was blessed, listen, Israel was blessed. It is a kind of reasoning which would appeal to the Hebrew mind. And, and I believe that's one of the reasons through the years we've been taught by Pastor Chuck, he, he loves Israel. He loves the Jews. And he's always had compassion uh, to give. It was nothing for Costa Mesa uh, to send good size amount of checks to the nation of Israel. And I believe they still do so today. And every opportunity that we have, no matter what scale, what amount, church always desire to be a blessing uh, to Israel. God told Abraham, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. I was so excited uh, to see Ronnie here. Most of you that came, we had a full house. And, and I mean, most everybody appreciated, I believe, what Ronnie had to say. I mean, how can you miss with a man born, you know, in New York? He has this accent, and he lives in Israel now. It's just wonderful. Just a beautiful time to be with him. Now, I want to conclude, and I'm going to share some things, but I want you to turn while I'm sharing. Go to the book of Romans, chapter 12, with me. As we come to the conclusion, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, and we've been talking about the tithe, the tenth part. We see from verses 2 uh, through 10, seven times it's brought forth. So I ask the question, what about us today? Do we give what rightfully belongs to God? And right there, I must interject I know what you're thinking I knew it it is a tithe message it is a purpose of giving no it's not what I'm going to include here but have you given all to God not your money honestly God could care less about your money but God cares about you have you given yourself to the Lord you know we come Sunday mornings and there's always that time in our ministry, first service, second service. There's one, there's two. They come, they're visiting, they're invited guests, family member. Oh, they call themselves Christian, but they've never given their life to the Lord. It's not about the money. It's about you. Jesus died for you. You see, the portion of your giving financially, the portion of serving, that comes later, much later. Man, you have to give your life to the Lord first and then see what God wants from you now here in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 
is the purpose I'm bringing this to the conclusion. God desires a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. God's not desiring your finances. I mean, is God broke? And we've heard that from certain ministries. If you don't give, we're going to shut down. Shut it down. Shut it down. But they always blame God. Why do they blame God? Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. God wants you, not your checkbook, not your billfold, not your purse, not your savings. God wants you. Look at verse 2. And do not be conformed or fashioned uh, to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove uh, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants you to come to that place where you surrender it all. Lord, here I am. Lord, take me. Lord, use me. You see, when I come to saving grace, when you come to saving grace, God calls us to the place of repentance. Re repentance is threefold. There has to be a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. But so many times, you know, what is a Christian? And so we, we try to make, you know, well, what does a Christian look like? What does a Christian smell like? Let's put on Christian cologne or whatever it might be. No, God wants you. God wants your heart. I, I told this story in the first service, and it's a story I've told before. I'm going to bring it back to your remembrance. There was a pastor that was preaching. Supposedly, it was a true story. I never forgot it. And he was preaching uh, to the Native American community. And he saw this huge Indian that was sitting in the back of the sanctuary. And the ushers tried to sit him, but he wouldn't sit. And he just had that long look and a big guy. And he just sat in the back with his arms folded and just staring at the preacher, never moved. And the preacher says, man, this guy's going to kill me. And then he says, now i got to take up the offering. I mean, I'm how do I tell the ushers, don't bug him, don't pass the plate by him. And it's a true story. And as the plate, that's what they did in their ministry. They had a plate. The plates went through the sanctuary, and the usher went back. And he sees the big Indian just, he never moved. And the Indian finally said, lower the plate. And so the usher had the plate here. He brought the plate down to full arm length. And the Indian said, lower. Finally, the plate's on the floor. And to his amazement, see, the Indian had no money. But the Indian stood on top of the plate. I have nothing to give but me. You see, that's what God wants from us, church. It's not about what you give, what you don't give. Yes, the tithe is spoken of in this text. It's spoken of uh, throughout the you know, Old Testament. And God does love a cheerful giver in the New Testament. But before all that takes place, God wants you. God wants you. I learned that so many years ago. And this morning, don't leave here if you haven't relinquished your whole being to God. If Jesus is Melchizedek, and Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, we know that Jesus is righteous. Have you surrendered all to him? Have you given your life to him? Young, old, middle-aged, doesn't matter. 
One day we will be held accountable to God. That's what we share in our last week's service. Interesting. Look at all the well-known people that have passed away this week. One right after the other. Death doesn't exempt everybody. Anybody. If the rapture of the church does not come, what we shared last week, we're all going to die. Have you made that commitment to Christ? I'm going to leave you with this. You know the verse. Romans 10, 13. Paul says, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All it takes is surrendering your heart once and for all. Right there where you're at. You've never given your life to the Lord. Here's your opportunity. If you're not sure, here's your opportunity. I will say a simple prayer with you. And I'm going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at, I'm going to ask you to make that commitment. I want you to bow your heads. Let's end in a word of prayer. Father, as we humbly come before you, Lord, we heard the message this morning. Who is Melchizedek? I believe it's Christ in the Old Testament. But if not, it's a, it's a typology. If not, it's a great example of who Christ is. But Lord, I, I pray for each and every individual here this morning. With every eye closed, every head bowed, I'm going to ask you at this moment, if you'd like to receive Christ, right there in the comfort of your own chair, I want you to raise your hand real quick, and I'll say a prayer with you. Anybody here this morning would like to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, please raise your hand. Anybody. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, here's your opportunity to raise your hand. Praise the Lord. Then if we're all Christian, I see your hand right here in the front. Anybody else? You might want to receive Christ or rededicate that life this morning. If that's you, today is the day of your salvation. Anybody else? Let's pray. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. And Father, as we said, it's not about the money. It's not about what we give or what we don't give. It's like that Indian said, I give of myself totally. Lord, this woman up here by the front, she raised her hand to you, Lord. Lord, you know her heart better than anybody knows that heart. Even uh, you know her heart better than she knows her heart. And Father, as she raised her hand, as she confesses her sin uh, to you, Lord, the Bible says you're, you will forgive her. The Bible says that you will uh, make her slate as white as snow. You, you're going to wipe away all her sin past, present, and future. And so, Father, right now, we ask you to receive her into your heart, Lord. Lord, that she would make you her personal Lord and Savior once and for all. Lord, baptize her in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, give her a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Lord, for the rest of us, give us a hunger thirst for your word, for your further word. Lord, bless us and anoint us. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We, we worship you, Lord. And, and Father, we do pray for the offerings this morning, as we do every Sunday. Lord, as you've given to us, we give back a portion. Bless the offerings. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen.